Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. It's pretty easy to find. You can use a Bible or you can use your phone if you'd like. Matthew chapter 2. And to get us started... I think it's an idea that most of us can gather around. In almost every Christmas story or movie, there's a villain, isn't there? There's like a villain. So here's a picture of some of like the classic Christmas movies that have, they have villains or villain type people. What's the one in the upper left? What's that guy? The Grinch. This is an old, the one on the right is an old classic cartoon, uh, Frosty the Snowman. And that's, I think his name's Professor Hinkle, who's the guy who tries to take the hat and melt Frosty, evil. He's an evil man. Home Alone, even, that's got the burglar people. And then some of you will not recognize this. That's the abominable snowman in the old classic Rudolph. Which, when I was a child, back in the 1800s, whenever that abominable guy would show up, I remember being, like, terrified because the graphics were, like, so real. I thought, that really exists as he went. Anyway, it's horrible. I thought of another one that um, it's not really a necessarily a classic Christmas, but it's a setting around the Christmas time. It's the 101 Dalmatians thing. Is she not, she wants to, what, steal puppies to skin them to make a coat. We should beat her, right? Like that's bad, that's a villain. It's so that the villain idea is basically when there's good stuff going on or Christmas stuff, God stuff, there's people who resist the good stuff, the God stuff, the spirit of Christmas, the kindness, they want to steal the presents, or all that kind of thing. Um, Where we're going to head today, uh, in fact, there are uh, Christmas villain-type people in the actual biblical Christmas story. By the way, throughout the Bible, there are people who resist the good things that God is trying to bring, and they try to mess it up. First classic example is in the um, Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve. Things are awesome, and the villain would be the serpent. Later in Jewish history, like the Philistines were this people group that as God's trying to take his people to good, but they were always, they were the villain type people. Um, story of David and Goliath. He's the villain guy. In the New Testament, there's a story of a guy named Saul or Paul. It's the same guy, but before Saul becomes a Christian and and changes his name, he is a villain. He is uh, persecuting Christians, involved in the execution of those who are following Jesus, the villain type. So hold that thought. We're kicking off a series called Messy Christmas instead of Merry Christmas, Messy Christmas. 
and we're going to explore some of the really challenging sides of the Christmas story. Sometimes I think we portray Christmas in terms of silent night, holy, all is calm, all is bright. Right? And we think, yes, it's the Christmas, it's great, and there's stars, and Jesus never cries, and there's, there's not even afterbirth. It's just Jesus just comes walking out. And yes, I said it, afterbirth. But we, sorry. I almost, right before I said it, I think God said, don't say it, and I said it. I'm sorry. But you know how we paint the picture. and everything. There are other parts in the Bible to the Christmas story. And the reality of life right, is not, everything is always wonderful, sweet, soprano singing, Ah, that's not the way it works. So part of the goal of this series is to take a look at the challenging sides. So why, you know, why would we do that? One is we should have a clear understanding of some of the things that happened in the Bible, some of the difficulties in the midst of the good news of Jesus, because that's part of real life. I think I would also attach that to, if you're considering, or those of us that are following Jesus, it's good to know that if something gets messy, that may not mean that we're out of God's will. Amen? Jesus was there. When God was sending Jesus into the world, it was absolutely exactly what God wanted to happen, but there was still just stuff happening around us. So it's just good to have a good balanced understanding of how life works, and sometimes it gets messy. So today, our uh, text has a villain type in it. His name is Herod, or King Herod. He is irrationally jealous of anyone who threatens his throne. Some people have given him uh, the description of a paranoid tyrant, There's historical record of this guy killing some of his own family members because he thought they might threaten his power, all right? He is a bad guy. And in Matthew chapter 2, he's a significant figure in this whole chapter, which contains a bunch of the Christmas story. The specific setting is Jesus has been born, he is a baby, and we're going to pick it up in verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star, and when it rose, I'm sorry, we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Let me fill in a couple verses. He's disturbed because they're making comments about king of the Jews, and Herod's like, whoa, I'm the king around here, and I don't like what I'm hearing. So Herod 
gets in contact with some of his spiritual advisors and say, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they say, oh, it's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. Pick it up in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Let me fill in a little more. He's lying. He's not going to go worship him. He's trying to figure out how to take him out. Uh, God warns the magi, the wise men, not to go back and tell Herod where Jesus is. Long story short, Herod realizes he's not getting the information that he wants, and he's mad. And pick it up then, the last few verses that we'll look at is verse 16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. A couple more verses. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no, no more. Title of the talk is Herod, a Christmas villain. And pause. How many, how are we doing? Are we okay or we need, still need help? I, uh, we need 15 more people to help. Approximately 15 more people. So if after the service, if you could help with the uh, Adopt-A-Kid thing, that would be good. That was a tangent, wasn't it? But important. Some of you, well, anybody think about helping? At least check it out at the booth? Uh, no? I could, we could just stop right now, which <laughs> makes you all a villain. No one's going to help. No one's going to help the kids. Some people will help. Well, anybody, is this, this, all right, just at least stop in and see if it's possible. Thanks, appreciate it. So, title of the talk, Herod, a Christmas villain. Look at two characteristics of a Christmas villain. Why are we doing this? One, this might help us respond to present day. Folks, there are present day people who resist the gospel, resist Christmas, right? They don't want, they don't want the Christmas stuff out there. They push back. They get frustrated. You know, you don't, don't put that nativity scene out, right? This still happens culturally. So how do we respond to that? The other idea is, as we look at these characteristics, we should not be like this guy, right? So maybe there's some things we can personally think, I'm going to be better at this kind of a thing. Let me pray. A bunch of us surely don't want to be a Christmas villain. And... Um, we would like to honor you, Jesus. I pray for the rest of this talk and for this Christmas season that uh, we would do nothing that would resist you and maybe participate even more in welcoming you and your presence and celebrating the good news of the coming of a Savior. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Two things, characteristics. A Christmas villain is extremely self-centered. You may have kind of sensed this in the Christmas uh, story that we read. But he's extremely self-centered. This is, this is my uh, interpretation of the reality that he was so disturbed. Why is he so disturbed? Right, it says, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And uh, the reality is, it's a little bit irrational because Jesus is just a baby. And by the way, uh, Herod will be dead before Jesus is ever famous, but he's really frustrated at this idea. So my take on this is he is prematurely freaking out because he wants everything to be about him, 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 him. And anytime anyone pops up and might take away some of the attention away from him, it freaks him out. Um, Oh, one other, one other thing. This really should be good news for all people because Jesus comes as a savior and all people need forgiveness for sin. But here's the idea you can write down. Herod couldn't deal with someone else's superior importance. I think that's the problem. So self-centered, he doesn't want anyone to be as important as him. By the way, there's probably at least a little bit of this in us. Another road rage example. Right? We're, we're doing the road thing, and there's been a sign. The sign was a quarter mile back, right? Please move to the left lane. And we, most of us, all the good people, have gotten in the left lane. And we're going along, everything's fine. We've still got another quarter mile before the actual thing. And then, right? Devil dude, drive, right? Evil, villain. Some of you right now, you've done this. But why do, why do we react so much to the person who's doing whatever it is that we don't think right. Some of that, why is that? Because you think you're better than me. You are not better than any of us. No. Do you understand? Like, what makes you so special? <laughs> Isn't that how, does this not, this is what rises up in some of us. What is that? It's the idea of, I think, in our sinful nature, we want to be central, and we don't want someone else to get more credit than us. Does this make sense? Some of you are in, the, in this, what? Somebody yelled out in the service before this, something like, we should kill those people. <laughs> it was something like, I'm like, okay, well, yes. Just go ahead and be real about it. I've but it was like, and I thought, yeah, it's, it's in us. Um, 
So, back to Jesus. <laughs> this resistance to the centrality of Jesus, the uh, real, reality of a Savior, this is not just seen in Herod. As Jesus increased in his popularity, there were groups of people and individuals who didn't like it. The Pharisees, as Jesus became more popular, part of why they killed Jesus was because he was becoming the center and popular people were going to him. I think this probably is part of some of the resistance to the centrality of Jesus culturally when people say, we don't want the nativity there. Don't make him so important because I'm not sure I want him that important. Um, A side note, probably should have thought through this, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, Some of this is the reality of spiritual warfare because Jesus is the answer to our present day situations and our eternal sin problem. And so the devil does everything he can to make people dislike him, stay away from him, be frustrated with him. But I want to also give you some theories on why sometimes we react negatively to like the good news, it should be good news of Jesus. And so I'll give you three things to think about. They're not on your handout, but you can take a picture of them if you, if you want to. Up on the, the first one is this. A savior implicates us as sinners. And we're not sure we like that. Because Jesus came as a savior. And it's easy for us sometimes to go, I'm a good person. No, you're not. Some of you are mad right now because I said, no, you're not. Good compared to who? Well, I'm better than Herod. Well, give you the trophy. (laughs) Compared to the righteousness and perfection of God, none of us. See, the problem is we just compare ourselves with each other, and we're all bad. We all have sinful natures. We've all done stuff, right? But when people introduce the idea of a savior, that's a hurdle for us because we're like, are you telling me I need forgiven for something? Yes. So that's one of the reasons that it can be, we can resist. Uh, The next one is a king clarifies his authority. If Jesus is the king, he can tell me what to do because he's the king. And we can get resistant to someone, I think maybe, Culturally now, I don't want, no one can tell me what to do. Well, if Jesus is the king, then he has authority to tell me, do this, stop doing that, start doing this, give this away, keep this, do, right? Because he's the king. Uh, the next one is, a Lord diminishes our centrality. I like to be the center of stuff. If he's the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, he is more important than me. That's hard for us sometimes. Fill in the blank to bring this idea into the room. Here's a question. Have I submitted to the importance of Christ? And I have in my notes, again. For me, this is a process. Again and again. No, wait. Yes, you're more important than I am. Yes, you're the Lord, and you have the right to tell me, to give me assignments. But it's a great place to be. 
By the way, it really is a great place to be because he's the Lord and he's the king and the creator of all things. He actually knows better how we should live our life than we do. Uh, Before we move on, I want to give you a glimpse into uh, a great example of how to submit to Jesus as the Lord and as the most important in all things. It's John the Baptist. He's like my hero at this. John the Baptist, if you haven't heard of him, super important person in the Bible, was used by God to introduce uh, the world, arguably, to Jesus. Had a very, very important role. He was kind of famous, but when Jesus came on the scene, people began to go, of course, towards Jesus and kind of forget how cool John was. And at one point, some people were talking to John about it, and here's what he said. John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. And then here's, this is a great possible mantra for life. He, which is a reference to Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. That's a good perspective. So, a Christmas villain is extremely self-centered, can I go on one small parental, grandparental tangent? I just need one person to say yes. Appreciate it. As you have the opportunity to influence and raise children, please remember that if we over-centralize our kids so that they believe that they are the center of everything, it will, be very, it will be more difficult for them to understand a sovereign Lord and King of the universe. Does that make sense? So as our children grow, they should be aware, yes, you are loved, yes, you are important, no, you're not the center of everything. Because when they meet Jesus, Jesus will not change the whole universe to make them the center of it. And I do think that culturally, It's a problem when they meet the Lord of the universe and the Lord has authority over their life. They go, no, 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 no. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. And it, does that make sense? So make sure that they, yes, they know they are loved and yes, they are important. But if 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 we have grown up for six years or 16 years and have never had to experience the disappointment of no, this is not about you, it gets hard later in life to learn that. So something to think about. Some of you might not have liked that. Does that make make any sense? (laughs) Three of you, yeah. Six of you are like, no. Little, Little Muffy is the center of everything. Stop it. I could go on that tangent for a long time. I just have to think whether I'm supposed to or not. No. All right. Second thing, a Christmas villain is prone to rage. We're going to talk about the violent, like the violent side of this guy. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, 
He was furious. And this is, by the way, some of the ugliest record of violence, one of the more ugly records of violence in the Bible. He ordered to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Now, that's not just some Bible story thing. There are historical records of 2,000 years ago that had nothing to do with Jesus, but they were just recording the edicts of the king. And it was a cultural phenomenon. It It was something that made the news then. Here's a picture of, that they've found, an old picture, and it just describes, it has the reality of Herod doing this horrible, this edict, this horrible thing. There are uh, uh, records, according to Macrobius, that Herod killed one of his own sons, who was under two years old, in this edict. There is a Byzantine liturgy that estimated 14,000 boys died around Bethlehem. And some of the estimates are over 100,000 boys may have been killed in response to what this guy did. Now, can you just pause and think, you've got to be kidding me. Is that not horrible? So here's a big question in that. Why did God let that happen? It's a a valid question. Because from verse 18, God knew that this was going to happen because it was prophesied. In verse 18, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You know, some mom named Rachel, weeping, don't comfort me because my little boy just got slaughtered by a soldier. Isn't that horrible? Let me give you an idea on why some of these things happen, especially in the context of our story today. Here you go. You can write this in. The gospel is so important, it allows for collateral damage. See if I can, the coming of Jesus and the result of his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the impact of that is such a need and such a priority, knowing that there would be other things, messes along the way, God still was determined, we have to make this happen. Um, This may not fit uh, perfectly at all. But just so you know, God's will is going to get done. Okay, there you go. His plan is going to move forward. It, he will get it done, even though there are times that in the midst of that, there'll be resistance, there'll be messiness, but his will will get done. And there will be situations along the way that are painful, hurtful, God will not be stopped in his will 
getting done. Uh, this is not the only example of this type of thing where there's what would appear to be kind of collateral damage. It wasn't God's hope that these, that these boys would die, but it was a result of the reality of life. In Acts chapter 2, quick story, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12, a guy named Peter, you may have heard of him, he's sharing the gospel with the world, he ends up in jail. Um, and while he's in jail, apparently God saw fit, I'm going to get him out of jail, because the church was praying, and Peter had, a, had an assignment. And so God, you can read it, the whole story is really uh, quite supernatural. Uh, Peter's in jail. God sends an angel to, it says in my Bible, he struck Peter. So he, like uh, Peter's sleeping, and he goes, poof, poof, wakes up. Uh, I'm paraphrasing now. Uh, what's going on, Mr. Angel? And the angel says, we're getting out of here. Don't want you in jail. You got to get out and keep preaching the gospel. So Peter gets up, the chains fall off of his wrist, and he follows this angel out of the jail, just walking past guards, and apparently the guards don't even see him. They get to the last gate of the jail, and the gate just opens, no one opens, it just goes, it's so supernatural, Peter is thinking, I must be dreaming, but he gets out, it wasn't a dream, and it's like the real deal. So then Peter goes, just read the whole story, Peter then goes to the church where these people are praying and knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, you'll never guess what happened. <laughs> and they're like, really, what? I'm here. And no way, yeah, I am. And it's, it's crazy, because they don't open the door right away, which is dumb, but they didn't. And, uh, but here's what happens. At, by the way, isn't that good news? It's wonderful. God saves Peter. It's going to be great. A verse at the very end of the story, the next day, it says, in the morning, back at the jail, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter, their prisoner that they were supposed to keep track of. After Herod had a thorough search, this is another, this is another Herod, another King Herod, just as mean, after Herod had a thorough search from, for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. That's collateral damage. These, there's no way these guys could have helped it. What are they going to do? Beat up the angel? I don't think so. These guys were killed. God's will was going to be done. He was going to get Peter out of jail. It's just the reality of some of those things that happen in life. Where the Roman, all right, you get it. What's the point of all this? Merry Christmas, everybody. A lot of people dying. A lot, no. I do have a couple points to finish this up. And then maybe if we got time, one other weird side thing. Uh, in, the midst of, in the midst of Christmas, celebrate the good news, but don't get derailed by the messiness of some of the stuff in life. And then I will uh, bring three challenges. Ready? Be part of the good news. Keep telling people, telling people and celebrating Jesus. He is the answer. And God would send him into this messed up world. Uh, endure the messiness. Christmas will probably not be perfect, 
but keep following Jesus. Last one, don't be a villain. Don't be so self-centered. It's not all about you. If you're prone to frustration or anger or rage, quit it. It hurts people. End of the story. You ready? Can I tell you one more weird thing? Just because it's the vineyard. This guy, you might think this Herod got away with it. There are historical documents that talk about the end of his life. He didn't just get away with it. Uh, One of my friends here on staff at the church gave me some details from, this is just another historical document. This is not out of the Bible. But here's a few things that happened to Herod after he slaughtered these, these boys. It says, after his crime against our Savior and other infants, punishment was sent by God that drove him to his death. This is from Josephus, who was uh, a historian between 37 and 100 A.D. He wrote this in the 17th book of his Antiquities of the Jews. Here's part of what he said. Disease grew in Herod more severe. It says he had a terrible desire for food which was not possible to resist. This affected him with ulcerations of his intestines, severe pains in his colon, while a watery and transparent humor settled about his feet. I'm assuming that his feet swelling. Here you go, more than you want to know. His his privy member... That's his private parts. <laughs> was putrefied and produced worms. That's what every service does. Good to be in church. <laughs> he, he was found to be, he found it excessively difficult to breathe. He ended up experiencing convulsions in every limb. And it's by those who possess the power and wisdom of the time to explain such events, even the people around him said that God had inflicted this punishment upon the king. Don't be a villain. (laughs) Ultimately, I mean, I'm kind of making light of it. Ultimately, we can trust God is just. He's gonna, he will do what needs to be done. Does that make sense? All right. Go have breakfast, everybody. No, stand. Let's stand and let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.